0: We thank Tim and Sharon for kindly letting us into their lives and into their pain and into their faith. And that story is going to connect with um, our message today in ways that you'll discover in a moment. I want to welcome everybody that is uh, joining us online, joining us on the stream, joining us here in person. Before I get into my message today, I have an important announcement uh, that I am going to read because I want to uh, get it right. This is not a bad announcement, okay? Everybody assumes the worst. This is not a bad announcement, but I, I want to uh, very carefully say this uh, for reasons that I think you'll understand when I'm done. I want to share with you something deeply meaningful happening behind the scenes around here this week. We all have been horrified by the events unfolding in Afghanistan. One of our ministry partners, Global Action, which I am privileged to serve as a board member, is currently working with ministry assets on the ground in Kabul. There is a group of over 400 Afghan Christian leaders and families who are desperately trying to get out. These are high-value targets to the Taliban. Uh, They are Christian leaders and pastors and their families. These efforts are very clandestine, the details of which I will not mention for their safety. Here's where we come in. Seventy-nine of them have been smuggled out already. Many uh, are, as of today, not out yet. We must remain prayerful and hopeful. Once they are out and relocated, there are four relocation sites in the United States, and Bethel Church is one of them. This may happen this week, it may happen later, it may not happen at all. The situation is in tremendous flux and uncertainty. We have promised homes for these Afghan Christians to live in temporarily, financial help for legal expenses and repatriation, and whatever else we can do for these displaced brothers and sisters. So when the time comes, we will send out a bulletin for an informational meeting for those interested in being host families. We are working to get things ready. Should God provide us this unique opportunity to let Christian hospitality say something very different than the U.S. government is currently saying and doing? I am totally confident, if given the opportunity, our church will rise to this global moment. What say ye, church? So stay tuned about that, this could be this week, it could be two weeks, it could be never, but we stand ready, okay, we stand ready, and we'll have more to share about that in the coming days. All right, all about him message. It's said that a good pastor gets you ready to die. Many people don't uh, look for a pastor that way, but if you're smart, you will because we're all gonna die, and part of the role of a pastor is to prepare uh, the people, the sheep of the church, to get ready to die. And I hope to take a big step towards preparing each one of you, each one of us, uh, to get ready to die. Not to die with a whimper or with terror, but to die expectantly and triumphantly. And this is our focus today for all about him, our annual celebration of the supremacy of God, uh, Christ and the centrality of Jesus in all things. Today we are not saying that we make Jesus supreme. This would be like us saying, let's make the sun the center of the solar system. Okay? The sun is the center of the solar system. And it is all about Jesus. Our role is to acknowledge, affirm, bow, surrender, and worship him. We do not make him all about him. He is the center of it all. And Jesus is that big. He is that important. He is that wonderful. If we look at broadly in in scripture, we see that creation is centrally about Jesus, that history is essentially about Jesus, that redemption is purposefully about Jesus, that the church is the bride of Christ, and so therefore the church, yes, is to be all about him. And today we're finishing our summer series, Bottom Lines of the Bible, and this is our bottom line uh, uh, today regarding the centrality of Jesus And we want today to look at a little verse that unlocks the purpose of the Christian life, particularly when it is viewed from the perspective of our impending death. And this perspective transforms then our whole approach to death and therefore to life and how I live and what I expect regarding the future. And so guess what we're gonna see today? Here's what we're gonna see today, that life is all about Jesus, that death is all about Jesus, that eternal life is all about Jesus, that it is all about him. Now, guiding us today is a purpose statement from the Apostle Paul, where in a very short, succinct way, he summarizes his entire life and his entire view of his future. And this little verse, well-known, probably many of you know this verse, uh, is Philippians 1.21. Okay, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Philippians one. 21 here it is for to me to live is christ and to die is gain there it is for to me to live is christ and to die is gain and i want you to see how this little statement is really the epicenter of the apostle paul's entire purpose his entire uh, reason for for life It's found here in chapter one, which is really this interesting chapter in in Philippians uh, because Paul is pensive about his life in ministry. Realize as he writes this, he's sitting in a Roman jail, okay? Roman jail and he knows, he gets reports, that there are a lot of other pastors and you know, teachers that are running around, and they're taking advantage of him being in prison to draw people that sort of like, you know, were followers of, of Jesus through Paul uh, to be kind of part of their gig and to be part of their church and their ministry, and so they're, he, they're actively trying to, to uh, pull from Paul's following. And there he sits in a Roman prison, And by the way, these Roman prisons are not like uh, prisons today, you know, air conditioning, movie night, things like that. This is an ancient Roman prison. It would have uh, smelled like an outhouse. He would have been shackled, bare necessities, barely provided to him. This was no uh, club med experience for the Apostle Paul. And there he is. And he knows he's the apostle to the Gentiles. Jesus told him that he was the apostle to the Gentiles. And no doubt he's sitting in that prison going, wait a second, I'm supposed to be the one taking the gospel to Asia Minor. Why am I sitting in this stinking prison? And yet from that prison he writes the letter called Philippians, which is famously the letter about joy, an ironic place to write a letter about joy, don't you think, sitting in that prison? And I think just that should encourage some of us today who may think that our life circumstances truly stink. God can't be in this. God can't be working in this. This all needs to change. I can't glorify God from where I am, and yet there's Paul in that Roman prison. He writes the famous letter about joy we call Philippians. And so he writes now, chapter 1, again about these uh, sort of competing preachers and teachers who are who are taking advantage of his situation. And he basically says, what does it matter as long as Christ is preached? And then he says this in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with, uh, that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This powerful passage of Scripture, a little biography, a little glimpse into the heart of the Apostle Paul. Now, if you know something about me, you you may know I love to read. Okay? I love to read. I've been a, a bibliophile my entire life. And I also love history. But what I really love about history is I love biography. Okay, I love biography. In fact, just this week, I finished a very long biography on Winston Churchill. Uh, I, I, it, I won't even tell you how many pages. It was a lot. And uh, in spite of how long it was, I wish it was longer because I was enjoying it so much. I want more out of this. And uh, what I love about biography is that you get to see into the lives of real people like you and me. You get to see the way they think and what made them tick, and uh, I find that fascinating. History is the story of people, and, and so, therefore, I, I, I very much enjoy biography, and we, we see this kind of thing with Paul here. Notice it begins by, he says, for to me, okay, for to me. So let me just... Tell you, this is how I'm looking at it, everybody. I, the Apostle Paul, this is my heart. In other words, Philippians 1 is not a theological treatise like Romans. It is not a, uh, a guide to church polity like First 2 Timothy. It is a portal into the Apostle Paul and how he thinks about life. Now, a few general comments here from verse 20. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed Ashamed to who? Like, what are you talking about, Paul? And what we see Paul doing here is he is projecting into the future. He's imagining himself standing before Jesus and giving an account of his life. And he says, I am confident that when I stand before Jesus someday, I am not going to be ashamed. I wonder how many of us approach our life and our trials this way. We typically think about our trials and we're like, we pray and we think, okay, God, get me out of this trial. God, I want you to take this trial away from me. I want you to take this person away from me. Uh, But Paul here projects into the future and he thinks to himself, how can I live in this stinking Roman jail in a way that someday when I give an account of my life to the king of glory, I'm not going to be ashamed? And right there, I think we have a nice sort of side application principle for all of us here today. You're struggling with what, what should I do? How do I handle this trouble that's in my life? I have often counseled people who are struggling in that kind of a situation, do whatever one minute or one second after you're dead, you'll be glad that you did. Project into the future and look back now at the day you're living in, and when you're dead... What will you be glad that you had done? That's how Paul's looking at this jail and this experience. Which brings us now to his bottom line. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now you'll notice there's two main clauses in that little sentence. They must go together. They cannot stand apart. For a Christian, our lives are to be, as he says here, for me to live is Christ, okay? Christ. Now, for that to be true, Jesus must be the king of your life. And I'll just say right now, if you're here today right now, and that is not the reality of your heart, you have not yet trusted in Jesus, you've not become a follower of Jesus Christ, that is the required first step. You can hear the rest of this message, but if you are not, if you are not a Christian, it doesn't really apply to you. Your life, for your life to be about Christ, your faith has to be in Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And I would urge you here on this All About Him Sunday to trust in Christ, to bend the knee to Jesus, and to trust and believe that he died on the cross for your sins. Because when that happens, it's like this tipping point where all of a sudden there's all these massive promises that God gives to us that now suddenly become true. All of a sudden, we are forgiven of every sin that we've ever done and every sin that we will ever do. Immediately, we are given righteous standing before God, not just today, and if I mess up tomorrow, then I'm not that way anymore, but from this day forward into eternity, I am adopted into the family of God. I am forever a child of God. And the Bible says that God gives to us eternal life. And that life is not just a future thing. When I die, I experience, it is newness of life that I experience right now. Invisibly, I can't look at, okay, you got it, you don't got it, you got it. I can't tell. But God knows. God knows. And that life begins now to transform us. And the whole direction of our lives are orient now, they recalibrate now to a new king, a new lord in my life. And his name is Jesus Christ. What that means then is that the purpose of my life is to do what pleases him and the ultimate goal of my life is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. Now the Apostle Paul talks about this a little later in Philippians. I'm gonna skip ahead now uh, quickly to chapter three because he talks about this revolution in his own life. Here's more biography. Here's what he says in verse seven. But whatever gain... Okay, remember that word gain? It's important in Philippians 1.21. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might, here's the word again, gain Christ. Now, what is that verse saying? It is a value statement, okay? Paul is looking at all the things in his life. And, he, and he, he says, whatever I have gained at the beginning of the verse, and what he's referring to there is all the accomplishments of his life, all the distinctions of his life, all the advancements of his life. And if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, it is a very impressive list, He lists things like his academic achievement. He he graduated from the Harvard of his day, PhD. His societal advancement. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. The authority and power that he had in government, they gave him all the authority to shut down the early church. Even religious advancement. Again, Pharisee of the Pharisees. This meant that he was, he was the, one of the top dogs. He was one of the main people. He was a who's who in Israel at that time. But if you know the story of Paul, he's on, his, on the way to Damascus to arrest Christians and to shut down the church, and on his way, all of a sudden, a light comes from heaven, and who does Paul see? He sees Jesus himself, and Jesus commissions him to be an apostle to the Gentiles, And in that moment, what happened was that the experience of realizing the reality of a resurrected Jesus crushed all the other things that he had spent his life accumulating. Now to say this doesn't mean that academic, you know, achievement doesn't matter. Some of the kids here are like, that's why I don't study, it doesn't matter. I'm a Christian. I count all that as loss. <laughs> doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean that our relationships, our family and our friends don't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you know, living with excellence in my life and the categories that God has given me doesn't matter. He's not saying that all those things don't matter. It is a, it is a statement of worth, okay? It is a statement of value. And what Paul says is, when I met Jesus Christ, All these things that up to this point had been the big deal in my life, it was the purpose of my life, I met Jesus and all these were crushed when compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In fact, so much so that he describes all of these accomplishments with a very specific word. Now, the ESV and the NIV translate this, I would say, politely. Okay? They, he says, they, they translate it rubbish. I count all these things as rubbish. Peterson goes ahead and kind of gets the real sense of the Greek word when he translates it dog dung. Dog dung. Feces. Excrement. Excrement. The stinky stuff that when you step on it accidentally in the yard of your neighbor, you don't realize it till you're like, what is that smell? (laughs) Oh, no. Again, he's not saying these things don't matter, but he's just saying in comparison to knowing Christ, they're like the dung on the bottom of my shoe. Compared to knowing him, this is the greatest And that value is in Paul's heart when he writes this bottom line, Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So let's talk about what does that mean? What does it first of all mean to live is Christ? That sounds nice, sort of a religious platitude, but like, actually, what does that mean? Again, on that road to Damascus, the one who hated Christ and Christianity the most was confronted with the reality of a resurrected Jesus and Paul never got over that moment. We know that in Acts, he keeps telling this story, telling his testimony. And the reason he didn't get over it, besides just the reality of Christ, is that for Paul, that road to Damascus was such a decisive whoosh in his life. I was living this way, now I'm living this way, that he never got over it. The direction of his life changed. What would would Paul have written before the road to Damascus? What would be the version of Philippians 121 before Damascus? The verse would have begun, for to me, to live is me. To live is me. Now this is an approach that I don't have to teach you about. You're all experts on this. So am I. We come out of the womb PhD, live to me. These children, you don't have to train them to be selfish. They come out utterly, completely selfish. They get it from their mothers. I don't know if you knew that or not. (laughs) All these kids care about is their own needs. They worship me. And we continue with that most of our life. We build temples to me. Now, we don't call them temples to me. We call them our social media pages, which are, in a sense, filled with self-promotion and self-worship. Me is our favorite subject. Have you ever noticed this in conversation? What does it take to get somebody talking? Just ask them about themselves and, and listen. Me is our obsession. It is me, me, me all the time. Are you the son of your own solar system? Are you the center of everything, your thoughts, your life, the purpose of your life? Let's be honest, there is a level of happiness that this can give to us. Who here wouldn't want to, at least for a day, be Elon Musk, for example, or some other famous uh, multi-multi-billionaire? The glamour of the lifestyle, the freedom to buy and do whatever you wanted, to fly in your private jet here or there. That sounds yummy to me. Okay? Yummy to me. But then there is this other part of the verse where to live is me kind of falls apart because if you say for for me to live is me and to die is what? Gain? No. When I am living for me, death is loss. It's loss. It is the loss of everything that I have valued in my entire life. It is the loss of all of my possessions. It is the loss of all of my relationships. It is most of all the loss of me, my conscious reality, my, my existence is all done. I can only look at death from a perspective of terror because it is loss to me. Listen to the words of the existentialist, French existentialist atheist, who writes this about her upcoming death. She says, I loathe the thought of annihilating myself quite as much now as I ever did. I think with sadness of all the books I've read, of all the places I've seen, all the knowledge I've amassed, and that will be no more. All the music, all the paintings, all the culture, so many places, and suddenly nothing. Nothing will have taken place. I can still see the hedge of hazel trees. She's now talking about when she was a child. I can still see the hedge of hazel trees flurried by the wind and the promises with which I fed my beating heart when I stood gazing at the gold mine at my feet. A whole life to live. The promises have all been kept. And yet, turning an incredulous gaze toward that young, credulous girl herself, I realized with stupor how much I was cheated. And one commentator adds this about her words. On the atheist premise, death is a nightmare unbroken by a dawn. For to me, to live is me, and to die is loss. Now let's contrast that with what Paul is saying about his perspective, which is the exact opposite of that. For me to live is not me, Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ. What does it mean for me to live is Christ? Here it is, as a summary, when my treasure, the actual value, worth, treasure of my life is having Christ by faith, and my goal in my life is to please him. That is what it means for me to live as Christ, where Christ is the actual, not the Sunday pretend, but the actual focus of my life, my goal being to live in a manner that pleases him. And we know this is what he means by this, by what he says in the second part of the verse. Because here's Paul now, he's, he's possibly gonna be executed. Okay, He doesn't know if he's gonna get out of that jail alive. And he goes on in the second part of the verse to talk about if he does die, what does that mean for him? And what does he say? For me to live is Christ, to die would be gain. Gain. How can death be gain? Dr. Piper helped me with this so many years ago. Because on the surface, death is a terrible loss, right? We approach our death from one perspective and we can only fear it. What, I mean, not only do we fear death, we fear the call that Tim Maxwell got. You've got a little lesion somewhere and we've got to explore that. One year ago, they had a little concern about my throat and I had to go, I remember when I, And I went to Hobart, and I walked into, here's this building, and, and over it says Cancer Center. And I walked through that, and I was like, oh boy. We dread that kind of news. It's a terror to us, from one perspective. But that's not the perspective that Paul's talking about here. He's kind of saying it the opposite of what you would expect, like, is this guy crazy? What do you mean for me to live as Christ, to die as gain? How can death be gain? And here is where it's all about him, friends, provides for us meaning in this life, and I want all of us to have that. But it does its best work when you're going to the cancer center. And it does its best work when you are uh, your loved one in Christ is dying. It does its best work when you walk in front of the casket of a loved one who knew the Lord Jesus Christ. This is now the power of it's all about him. It changes your life, but it totally changes your perspective about the most fearful thing that we have, which is death itself. How does it do that? Here is how, friends. If Christ is my treasure in this life, death is gained for me, because when I die, I get more of him, okay? I get more of him. That's the sink between these two clauses. For death to be gained, my life must be Christ. And I just wanna say, friends, how easy it is to just go to church, even attend Sundays like this, you know, where you're like, focus on Jesus and all that, and be like, yeah, okay, and, and, uh, you know, sort of go with the flow. But it's not really like the goal of your life. It's not a passion in your heart. And then all of a sudden, you are the one in the cancer center. And all of a sudden, you look at your life and what you were living for and, and you know, the words you heard but never applied. And suddenly there is a whole new weight to the gospel and to the things that we, our church, is all about. And it gets at it right here that my life must treasure Christ so that when I get the news of the cancer, it is not an ultimate terror to me. Because in my view, I actually, and this is a struggle, I'll admit, but in my heart there is the seed truth that death will be better for me. Because in death, I gain more of the treasure, that I live my life for right now. I get more of Christ. And this is the, 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 the heart uh, behind uh, verse 23. Paul says this, this is like psycho or gospel truth. Listen to what he says. My desire is to depart, that's, I mean, I, my desire is to die, and be with Christ. Notice what he says, for that is far better Here's the Apostle Paul telling us, get it Christian, you're better off dead. You and I are better off dead. Paul says, I I wish I was dead, because then I get to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is far, far better. Now this does not mean that we jump off bridges or out of you know please stay away from the edge of the balcony balcony people right now we do not need that application of the of the message because remember for me to live is Christ that's a value as well but i want to remind us how paul can be so certain about this statement remember god let paul see what was to come paul got a glimpse into what heaven was like and what Jesus is like. This is an advantage that Paul has in this. You might remember, on the road to Damascus, he actually sees Jesus at the right hand of God. How might that alter your view of what uh, the future is like? Pretty good, right? We also know from Acts uh, 22 and 23 that he had two other visions of Jesus himself. And then we have this very special experience he describes in 2 Corinthians 12, where God takes him, or vision, Paul wasn't even sure as as he describes it, but takes him to heaven itself. And Paul there sees and hears things, he says, which words cannot describe, what I saw and what I heard. And what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, here's the word that he used to describe what that uh, that. Places like, he calls it paradise. Paradise. Now, can you think of anybody else who would be an authority on this subject in the Bible who describes heaven as paradise? And the Bible scholars say, Jesus, and when did he do it? On the cross to the thief. Remember, here you have the thief on the cross next to him. This guy is a criminal. There's nobody here probably as bad a sort of moral person as this guy next to Jesus. But as he's on the cross, at the very end of his life, the last second, this gives hope, friends. By the way, this gives hope for loved ones even to the end of their life. If in the last breath you trust in Christ, guess what? It's paradise, okay? It's paradise. But Jesus, who I would say is the ultimate travel advisor. who'd spent eternity in heaven, now says to the repentant thief next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Now I'm not sure I could come up with a better word than paradise for the place that I would like to spend eternity. That sounds pretty wonderful to me. I wonder what comes to your mind if you think about paradise. Might it be a Caribbean beach, a resort, an all-inclusive resort, Where food and drinks are brought to you all day? Is that heaven for you? Here's the thing. No doubt heaven will live up to its name. Okay, Whatever that is like, it's going to live up to its name. But all of that is not what Paul is talking about in Philippians 1. In Philippians 1, he's not thinking about All of the accoutrements of heaven and the streets of gold and the river of life and all the other wonderful things that the Bible tells us about what heaven is like. That is not what he is saying is the gain for him when he dies. Oh, I can't wait to get my hands on that gold in the streets. I'm going to hoard it. and It's going to be awesome. No, that's not the gain for him. What is the gain? What is Paul seeing as gain? He is saying this, my future is better than here on this earth because in the future I am with Christ. And this is the guy who had already seen Jesus and knew what that might be like and says to all of us through the scriptures, you got to realize that experience of being with Jesus, in intimacy with Jesus, in the presence of Jesus, under the direct personal ministry of Jesus, That experience will be far better than the greatest day of your life here on earth. And he says, I desire to be there. If I could choose between here and there, I'm going there. Paradise. Heaven is to have more proximity with Jesus, heaven is to have more presence. With Jesus. And right now, if that's not very exciting to you, it's because right now, He is not the treasure of your life. But if He is the treasure, and if He is the ultimate, then to be able to be with Him forever is gain. Is gain. I remember our uh, daughters especially when they're younger, we don't have this experience as much, but when they were younger, we oftentimes would have to convince them to do something fun. Like, and I have these strange conversations with my my daughters, like, you know, hey, we're gonna go tubing, I don't wanna go! (laughs) Like, no, kids love tubing, I don't wanna go! It's, you go fast, you flip around, it's water, you're good. I don't wanna go! Like, get in the tube! <laughs> I never anticipated these parental conversations. But why do we have them? Because I know what it's like. I know they're going to love it. But they've never experienced it. I remember one winter, I, I, uh, I took my, my oldest daughter, she was like three or something at the time, we had a big snow, so we went over to the, to the Lake County Hill there, where everybody sleds, and uh, we stood at the top of that with sled in hand, and, you know, she's going ballistic. I don't wanna do it! Like, sweetheart, like look at all the other kids, they're all having fun, you're gonna love it. I don't wanna do it! I grabbed her, I put her on that. (laughs) You're gonna do this! And I went down with her, We get to the bottom and she says, again? (laughs) Dear one, someday we all will stand at the edge of life's river. And we're gonna wonder what awaits us after our final breath. And let's be honest, who doesn't tremble at that? There's a certain trembling I think even Jesus shows in the Garden of Gethsemane. His humanity comes out in that moment, and we're all human, we're all finite. There's things we cannot know and that make us feel afraid. But here we have somebody who's gone tubing before. Here we have somebody who's gone sledding before. Here we have somebody who's been to heaven before. And he says to us, if you are a Christian, what comes ahead is far better than what we have right here and right now. And so Christian, I want to encourage you that death is not just barely better than life or barely better than your best day. Death for a Christian is better by far. The Son of God called it paradise. The cloud of witnesses, the saints, if they could, they would shout to us, you know, go down the hill, it's gonna be great. You cannot imagine what lies ahead. And they would urge us not to fear, but rather to live today with Christ as our treasure. And if we do, what awaits us is not a loss, it is eternal gain. I grew up singing a hymn in church that I think says it well. Let me sing it to you. Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. NO OTHER ONE CAN CHEER ME SO, WHEN I AM SAD, HE MAKES ME GLAD, HE'S MY FRIEND, JESUS IS ALL THE WORLD TO ME, I WANT NO BETTER FRIEND, I'LL TRUST HIM NOW, I'LL TRUST HIM WHEN LIFE'S FLEETING DAY SHALL END, Beautiful life with such a friend. Beautiful life that has no end. Eternal life. Eternal joy. He's my friend. Which is to say, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or to say it this way, it's all about. Amen. Praise Jesus. Praise you, Jesus.